Good morning, Harvest. Hey, listen, if, if you have kids with you and, and you have them through the worship part, but, but for this part, you, they're, they're young kids and you kind of want to get them set up in another room, here's the beauty of us being online. You can just press pause right now. Okay, it wasn't really pause there, but, but you could, right? Just, just press pause. Don't, don't try this when we come back to, to church live. You can't yell out, pause, so you can do something. But, but right now, it's one of the beauties of us being like this. Go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles. Go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12 and 13 is where we're going to be this morning as we jump back into the series that we started before this whole COVID season came to us. And we were in the book of Exodus. There's one thing that, that this whole COVID season has taught me. It's this. I would do horrible in prison. Right, forget the fact I don't know how to make a shiv. Like I just do not do well being hindered or locked up. Even as as light as this lockup is, it is so hard for me. I mean, I, I'm wired naturally to be around people. And, and so five weeks into this, I mean, I just take a weekly trip to the grocery store and, and, I, and I feel like Andy Dufresne being set free from Shawshank. Like it's just, it's just hard for me to be locked up like this. But here's the thing I do know that to be free, I mean, to, to truly be set free is something every one of us longs for. I mean, people are longing for freedom, to, to be free from addictions, to be free from, from sinful patterns, to be free from shame, from guilt, to be free from empty religious rituals, right, where, where you have to perform to earn God's favor. I mean, that just leads to more enslavement, doesn't it? That just leads me to being more in bondage because I can never meet the standard of a holy God. And so what do we do? We fake it or, or we wear the burden of shame and guilt and failure. We're set free though. We want to be freed from that. We want to be free from being our own God. Freed from, from worrying about controlling or what tomorrow holds. And listen, this is why I love the gospel so much that we can look to the cross of Christ and we can know that God is good. God has paid the price. God has covered the, the cost. God's taking care of my future. He's redeemed my past. He's transforming me right now. And I love how Paul says in Galatians 5 that, that for freedom in Christ, we have been set free. Set free for freedom. That God's will for you in Christ is that you would be set free. A freedom you don't need to strive for. A freedom that's been purchased for you. That listen, this morning, as a Christ follower, you are free. As, as we jump back into the series in Exodus, we're, we're going to be in chapter 12 and 13, where we see the people of Israel tasting freedom for the very first time. And, and so Moses, God, through Moses, sets up this way for them to remember how they've been set free. If you have your Bibles open to Exodus, look at, look at verse 3 of chapter 3. It says, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And and Moses here, he's he's writing to the generation that would have come after the Exodus, a generation who didn't experience the Exodus, and he wants them to remember what happened on that day, to remember that it was God's strong hand that led them out. So, so what are they remembering exactly? Well, if you keep going in, in, in Exodus chapter 13, you, you read what, what it says there, starting in verse 4. It says, Today in the month of Abib, you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, 
which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you up out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So there's this festival that, that God's setting up saying, there's this festival of the unleavened bread, that, that leaven or yeast, this thing that it, it takes time to do its work. And God says in, in the Exodus, he goes, hey, you're going to be sent out so quickly. You don't have time to, to, for your, to wait for bread to rise. In fact, look at chapter 12, verse 39. Here's what happened. It says, they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt. So they've been let, set free from Egypt. They bring these, this dough with them, but it had no leaven in it, no yeast in it. Why? For it was not leaven because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. God's like, I want to remember this. And God's weaving into the rhythm of his people this idea of remembering. Remember this. Remember the unleavened bread. Now, here's the thing about Old Testament remembering. It wasn't just a way for us to think back on a past event. To remember, it's a way to look at that event and have that event come into your present time and change the focus of your heart and your mind. And then to put action to that remembering. So it's more like remembering forward. There's an activeness to this. It changes us. And so God puts in place these festivals for the Israelites to remember. And, and they're great because they involve the whole person so that when you, you sit down, you can just imagine sitting down at the supper table during the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and one of your kids is like, hey, Ma, where are the rolls? And I love when you make rolls. We have rolls every night. These, these rolls are amazing. Where are the rolls? And you'd be like, well, we're not having rolls this week. Yeah, yeah, but I love rules. How come we're not having them? And then there'd be an opportunity for, for a parent to be able to say to their kid, listen, years ago, in bondage to, to slavery, we were broken, we were hopeless, and then, then God saved us. And, and he saved us so swiftly, so quickly, we didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. And so we're taking this week and we're celebrating by, by eating unleavened bread because God radically, God powerfully set us free. And so every year, you'd be reminded of this. You'd be reminded, hey, I didn't rescue myself. I'm not the king of my life. God rescued me. God, you are the rescuer. You're my redeemer. You're the one who set me free. And God sets out another way for them to remember. So if you look again at Exodus chapter 13, look at verse 11. It says, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as I swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a, with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? 
You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. And so, so what is this? The, the Passover, you're celebrating this, this Passover and, and you're, you're sacrificing a lamb in place of your firstborn son. And why? Because you're remembering. You're remembering. You're remembering how, how God rescued the, with that final plague. We're the, we're the firstborn of every home, the firstborn son that did not have blood of the lamb on its doorpost, that firstborn was taken. And that, that last plague that, that released them from Egypt, it wasn't just a plague of God's destructive power. It is a d- display of his delivering power. It, it points to the deliverance of our, of our lives being delivered, being set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and God's saying, listen, this was not just a one-off. He goes, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember it again and again. Remember it. Remember it in a way that it changes you. And he establishes this, this yearly celebration for the Israelites called the Passover where they would look for this. He, he, said, he has them remember by saying, hey, every firstborn is mine. And really, as they do this, as they remember this, as they're sacrificing a lamb for their firstborn son, as they remember during Passover, what are they doing? They're ultimately pointing their hearts forward to the ultimate act of deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. And they're remembering over and over again, God, you are a holy God. And God, you're our only hope for life, that that we could be delivered from your just punishment for our sin. You see, in Egypt, that last plague that hit, it hits everyone. The Israelites weren't weren't removed from this plague like they were the other plagues where only the Egyptians would feel the weight of the plague. Now, even the Israelites have to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Why? Why everyone? Because all of us are sinners before a holy God. And so the picture you you see in that last plague and the picture played out every Passover meal is this picture that that the judgment of God is serious. Sin before a holy God is serious, deadly serious. So this, this whole exodus then of them being delivered from Egypt, it becomes a picture of something greater than that. They're being delivered from someone greater than the Egyptians. They're being delivered from something greater than just slavery to Egyptians. They're being delivered from the greater slavery in sin, the greater Pharaoh of Satan and their own sinful natures. But at the same time that you you see the holiness of God on display in the Passover, that that he's not going to tolerate sin, we also see God as the deliverer, as the loving Savior. That by grace, he makes a way of salvation for his people. That that in Egypt, there there was a, a, a lamb substituted. A lamb instead of the firstborn. As they celebrate over and over again, there was a lamb substituted for the firstborn. And the blood of that lamb was the only difference in, in this time in Egypt between cries of sorrow or shouts of joy. 
And it wasn't because the Israelites were better than the Egyptians. No, it's not because they'd done something to earn the favor of God. No, the picture is this. There is a substitute for you. So that when the destroyer comes to your house, that that you will have this lamb that's been killed and its blood spread on the doorpost of your house so that the destroyer will pass over you. And you're safe because of the blood of the lamb. I mean, that's the picture that God's ingraining in his people. There's this hands-on picture they have of God's holiness and his just wrath against sin and that a sacrifice has been provided by God for their deliverance. All of this pointing, pointing to the Lamb of God. So that we now can look as Christ followers now on this side of the cross and how, how can we, how can we as sinners be delivered? How can we be set free? How can we be considered, be considered holy and righteous and friends with God? And, and, and I love how in Corinthians it says that God made him who had no sin become sin for us. That instead of us, Jesus becomes our sin so that we can be made right with God, that we might become the righteousness of God. But listen, that no one else could take on the full wrath of God the Father. No one else but the perfect son of God. In the book of Hebrews, it says that he is the the lamb that that does away with all the other lambs. Those lambs that are offered year after year after year in remembering what happened. And Jesus comes to end all of that as the lamb of all lambs. To take the full payment of our sin. So so that everyone listening even now, no matter how dark your sinful choices have been, no matter how broken and busted up your past might be, no, no matter how guilty your conscience is, listen, when you're trusting in the blood of Christ over your life, you are saved in the presence of God. You are set free from the penalty of sin and being freed from the power of sin. And it's it's not because you're better. It's not because you're more religious. It's not because you've checked off some religious box. It's only through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. In fact, look down at verses 33 to 36 of chapter 12. Look what it says. It says, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. Here's what's happening. As they're being set free, what's it say? It says, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Don't miss the picture going on here as they're set free. The Israelites plunder the Egyptians. I mean, you plunder a conquered people. To the victors go the plunder. So you have this ridiculous scene going on here in the Exodus. As they're being set free, you've got these ragtag, wore out, weak, enslaved people. They get to plunder the powerful Egyptians. Here's the thing. As they walk out, as they plunder the Egyptians, there is no way that the Israelites get to walk out of there with any sort of swagger. And God wants them to remember this. Hey guys, I'm the one who set you free. 
And he says all over and over again in chapter 13, look at verse 3, where he says, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. How? By a strong hand of the Lord brought you out of this place. He says the same thing again in in verse 9, verse 16. It's by a strong hand of the Lord this happened. God wants it to be so clear. Listen, this wasn't Moses' brilliance that that let you guys escape. It, It wasn't your courage that set you free. It was through God's powerful, strong hand that they came out of Egypt. The Israelites, as they're leaving Egypt, as they're being set free, as they're walking out, and they get to plunder, it's God's victory that allowed them to do that. This is not some Rocky movie, okay, where where, where the underdog Israelites, they they started working out in their barns, and they were like lifting beams and doing one-arm push-ups, and eventually they could defeat Egypt. No, no, it didn't happen. They did nothing but trust in the lamb and they walk out in God's victory. Listen, when when you plunder hell as a Christ follower, when you plunder Satan by by getting the righteousness of Christ, by, by receiving the blessing of forgiveness and the power of the spirit, listen, as Christ followers, we don't walk with a swagger. No, we worship the one who won our victory, who set us free. Jesus took out the enemy so we get the victory. And now this changes everything for the Israelites as they are set free. And they're they're given these festivals. Remember this. Remember, you're no longer slaves. You're now free. Whereas an Egyptian, as as an Israelite, you'd be remembering every time, man, man, I used to be a slave for 430 years. That was my identity. A slave of Egypt. For you and I to remember, I was a slave to sin, a slave to shame, to guilt, to pride, to fear. But by the strong hand of the Lord, I'm free. And, and when Satan presses in on your heart and says, no, 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 you're mine. I own you. God says something so different over you. He says, no, I've set you free. Look what he says in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate or set apart for me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast is mine. Now he said this very same thing to them before. They, they would have recognized this language. You see, in chapter 4, verse 22, he, he said to Israel, he said, you're my firstborn child. In Exodus chapter 6, he says, you're my people. Later on in Exodus 19, he remind them, you're my treasured possession. God steps in as the rescuer, and now he claims something so different about you. He says, you're mine. You've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Christ, that you're now my treasured possession, God says. I mean, how do we respond to this? And God says, you're now mine. Well, God says this, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate means, means set apart for me. He says, like, these are mine. Like, listen, God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. So in reality, he owns everything right now. But in, in a very special way, what God's saying here, something deeper than just I created and I owned it, he's saying, I've chosen you. I've put my favor on you. 
And in response to that grace, to that gospel of being set free, in response, we recognize that we are consecrated. We've been set apart. We're no longer our own. But listen, our life and our death belong to God. Now, why the firstborn? Why would God say, consecrate to me the firstborn? I mean, it seems weird to us in our culture. I mean, I'm a thirdborn, so I'm cool with that. Sure, hey, take my older brother. Yeah, go, that's great. In ancient cultures, here's what's going on here. The firstborn actually represented the family. We live in more of an individualistic kind of a culture. They, they lived in a, in a family culture, so that firstborn actually was the representative of your family. So when God calls Abraham back in Genesis, and he says, Abraham, give me your son, your only son, Isaac. Sacrifice him to me. In Abraham's mind, why he didn't push back at that is because Abraham understood what God was doing, that, that God's calling on the sin debt of the family of Abraham, that Isaac will pay for the family. And in that moment, Abraham's praying, God, make another way. And what did God do? God provided a substitute for Isaac, a substitute for Abraham, for the, the children of Israel that would come after him. Same thing here. God's saying, this is your substitute. I've provided a lamb. And he's saying, because of that, I bought you back from slavery, from sin, from death. Because of that, you're mine. And so, so by giving the firstborn back to God, it, it was Israel's way of saying, God, my future, my hope, my, my dreams, my possessions, my, my, my position, my status, my name, my fame, it's all yours, Lord. All of it's yours. So, so when we today, when we give the Lord our first and our best, what we're saying is, God, my whole life belongs to you. Everything. I belong to you. I mean, that's the, the bottom line for a Christ follower. That, that's the, the, the framework our whole life is now built on, that I'm not my own, that I, I've been bought with a price. I belong to God fully. Everything now, in, everything in our life now is, is rooted on that very truth that says, I'm not my own. I belong to God. In life and death, I belong to God. So, so that means you look at life differently. If you're married, you look at your marriage differently. Okay, I belong to the Lord. So, so I lift this marriage up to him. God, how do you want me to walk this out? And, and the Lord speaks and he's, he says in his word in Ephesians, in your marriage, Kai, you're, you're to love Libby as Christ loves the church. So you, you sacrifice and care and give yourself up for her as Christ did for you. And I'm like, okay, that's my calling. That's my calling as a husband who's been set free, who's no longer his own. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to do that perfectly, all right? I'm going to fumble at that call. But in God's strength, I need to serve Libby and love Libby the same way that Jesus serves and loves me. So what do you do? You lay down your wants and your needs to protect and care for your wife. And every day, God, this is not easy. My heart wants me to care for myself, but, but I'm not my own. I'm yours. Well, when it comes to being a parent, you begin to see the, being a parent through the lens of, I belong to the Lord. So what's the Lord call me to? 
He calls me to point my kids to the majesty and to the goodness of God. I mean, that's on me. That's not on the church. I can't say, well, the church ruined my kids, man. No, no, it's on me me, for me to point in my actions, in my testimony, in my words, in my teaching, that they would see the glory and the goodness of God. When you think about your money or your time, if this is your framework, I mean, everything I have and am belongs to the Lord. So so that that it's on me to say, man, I don't own any of this stuff. This has all been given to the Lord. So what do I do? I steward it. That's the whole basis of of Christian generosity. It's that we, we understand that everything I have from the Lord is a gift that I don't hoard it for myself, but I steward it well for God's glory and God's name. And so, so even in this season, this COVID season, it's why you would, you, would, you would give up your time and your finances, why you would reach out to your neighbors, why you would go, man, who has needs that I can help fulfill? I want to go after this. I want to reach out. I've been set free for freedom to love my neighbors. When you think about hurts that have been done to you, how, how can you freely forgive? Remember, I'm not my own. Just as I've been set free, now, now I'm free to set others free. And I, I can forgive each other just as in Christ, God forgave me. And we become a free people because we understand that nothing is mine. It's all the Lord's. Now here's where it gets hard though. The leaven that's talked about here in, in chapter 13, when it talks about this yeast, this leaven, it, it was not just about the, the hurriedness of the leaving. Leaven also represents sin. So when you're, you're reading in, the, in Scripture and it talks about yeast or leaven, there's this, this representation of sin. Why? Because when you bake bread, here's what yeast does. When you add it to the bread, you put the yeast in there. The thing that makes the dough rise is a process of decomposition. It's a process of death that makes that rise. And so leaven's been this symbol of wickedness in, the, in Scripture. It's this, this impulse in us that wants us to grab back the ownership. To say, God, you're not my king. God, I want to seek my way. I want to seek my power. I want to seek my thing. And, and this leaven, this sin in us lures us away from the truth of who we really are in Christ, that we've been set free. But my heart screams out, no, no, no. I don't want to belong to you. I belong to me. I know what I want. I know what I need. I know what I deserve. I mean, did you ever feel that? I mean, did you feel that draw of your heart? Where there are times where, I, where I'm like, God, I know you said this. I know you say to love my wife like you love the church. I know you, you call me to forgive that person. I know you call me to sacrificially give and serve. I know you call me to lead my family. I know you call me to drop this sin, but, but my flesh says no. I, I, I don't want to. I know what's best for me. I, I don't want to listen to you as my king and my Lord. And what we're doing in that moment, we're actually aligning our hearts to Pharaoh's heart. Remember when Pharaoh asked, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? My flesh pulls against me. Everything in our culture pulls against this this idea of giving ourselves to the Lord fully. I mean, every ad you watch, every movie, every, every Netflix show, everything says, no, 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 you're the king of your life. No, you know what's best for you. God wants to be sure that his people understood what their freedom meant. 
that we were captives set free, but now we're captivated by someone else. Hearts captivated by the love of God. How do we walk out this consecration? How do we walk this out? We remember. We remember who we are, and we remember whose we are. Let me illustrate it this way. What Paul, uh, in the New Testament, as he's writing to this church in Corinth, if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Just, just flip there. It'll be on the screen here as well. But in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing this letter to this church in Corinth. And it is a, a train wreck of a church. It is a church that's filled with sin and pride. I mean, they've got all this spiritual stuff going on, so they think they're doing great, but it's, it's filled with so much sin. And in fact, they were tolerating a sin in this church that even the, the Corinthian city around them who were not Christ followers are looking in on this church and saying, man, you guys are jacked up. And you got to understand something about the city of Corinth. For someone in the city of Corinth to say that you are bent, man, you're really bent. Paul's writing to them and he, and he reminds them of the Exodus. He reminds them of the Passover. He reminds them of the festival of unleavened bread. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, he says this, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's saying, get rid of the old leaven. Get rid of that sin that's in the church right now. Why are you tolerating this? Get rid of the sin. Why? Why? Because of Christ, your Passover lamb, you already are unleavened. You're, you're holy. You're consecrated already. Now, knowing how jacked up this church was, that is a shocking statement by the Apostle Paul. I mean, you kind of want to go, Paul, Paul, wait a minute. Did you get your email address mixed up here? Like, was this supposed to go to the church in Ephesus? Like, you, you may want to kind of control X this part here, right? If you're going to send this thing out, maybe rewrite that. I mean, how in the world could you call this church full of yahoos? How could you say that they're unleavened? They were. And only were because of Christ, the Passover lamb. It's, it's the only explanation for a Corinthian church to be called unleavened, to be called holy. And listen, it's the same for sinners like you and me. Paul says, because your sins have been atoned for by Christ, your Passover lamb, who died in your place as your substitute on the cross, because of that, because of that, get rid of the leaven. Because of that, that's this not who you are anymore. And then if you go on in verse 8, he says, he says, celebrate then. He goes, let us therefore celebrate the festival, this festival of unleavened bread, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, repent, get rid of the sin and celebrate. Don't stay in the sin. Repent and celebrate. Now, why celebrate? They're not celebrating because they're perfect. Far from that. We celebrate because we see our sin and our captivity. Because my sin is, is right here, man. I can see it so clearly. But in repentance, when I turn from that sin, 
When I give that to the Lord, when I bring that to the cross and I receive grace and I walk in that grace, listen, you celebrate. You're throwing a party. I love how all through the New Testament, the religious leaders, they call Jesus a party animal. Okay, that's my loose translation, all right? They call him a glutton and a drunkard, but in the Kai Ballantine version, the KBV, that's called party animal, all right? Now, now why are they calling Jesus a party animal? Because, listen, Jesus was setting sinners free. And these sinners, after they get set free, they're throwing parties. Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus comes and sets him free. You got to understand who Matthew was as a tax collector. I mean, he's a traitor to his people. He's greedy. He's dishonest. He's hated by everyone. Jesus transforms him and Matthew throws a party. Now, guess who's coming to that party? Respectable religious people are not coming to that party. They're not partying with tax collectors. Who's partying? Other transformed, saved by grace people. That's who parties with redeemed tax collectors. Recovering alcoholics, rescued prostitutes, the lost and sinful who've met grace. And they party. I mean, Jesus says about the, the woman who, who's weeping and pouring out her perfume on his feet and, and crying and thanking him. And, and the religious leaders goes, man, what's this, this filthy woman doing? And Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. So Paul here is saying, man, you guys got to celebrate redemption and freedom. Not, not celebrate being perfect. Celebrate the righteousness of Christ that's yours. Don't, don't live under the, the old self. Don't, don't, don't let this stay in you because it's not who you are. In a grace party, you're not okay with sin. Listen, in a grace party, you get your sin and you're lifting it up to Jesus saying, I don't want this anymore. If you continue to live in unrepentant, deliberately, flagrantly, repeatedly living in sin, you don't understand grace. You don't understand the cost of the Passover lamb. I mean, to celebrate with sincerity and with truth is to be broken by your sin, not to hide your sin. Not to be okay with any sin of any size. And listen, if you're new to Harvest, if, if this is not your church, let, let me let you in on a little bit of a secret about our church. And man, I wish we weren't quarantined right now because if you were, if you were with us on a Sunday morning and I was saying what I'm about to say now, man, you, you would hear shouts of amen. So, so maybe in your living room where you are right now, man, man, you shout out amen to this because maybe, you're, maybe your neighbor's watching and he, he, he and she get to hear you say amen to this because here's the truth about our church. We are a messed up bunch of people. We are a gathering of sinners, amen. So, so if you're looking for people with grace to come alongside you in, in the fight against sin, man, you've jumped in with the right church. We're a gathering of people who need to be saved. A gathering of people who celebrate the Passover lamb, celebrate his sacrifice that pardoned our sin by substituting himself on the cross in our place. And my prayer is this, that, that our church would be a safe place for sinners and a very unsafe place for sin that we want to get rid of every trace of old leaven. 
Because there's no such thing as a little bit of sin. Listen, like bread yeast, it just takes a little tiny bit and it grows, it spreads. So we want to lean in to being a church, to being a, a people who take sin seriously and enjoy forgiveness fully. There would be this awesome sense of God's holiness amongst us together with a joyful celebration of his grace. And so God gives the Israelites this, this celebration of unleavened bread and the Passover as a way to remember. Remember that you are a captive people who've been set free. And you now belong to him. Redeemed, loved, transformed, rescued at an eternal cost. How does this impact us today? Let, let me end with this illustration. Have you ever seen one of those, those big blue bug zappers, right? The, the blue light, you hang it outside, right? And bugs are attracted to the blue light. And bzz, they get, bzz, they get, bzz, right? They keep getting zapped and killed over and over again. And man, you sit by one of those things in an evening if someone's got one of those. And, and man, bugs are being zapped nonstop. And, and, and you would think after a while, right? that those bugs flying towards that big blue zapper, you, you think they would see the tray at the bottom there just littered with the bodies of their relatives who went before them. You, you would think some thoughtful bug would finally get it into his head and say, wait a minute, I'm not just gonna follow my desires blindly anymore. Like how much am I willing to pay just to get close to that, that blue light? But here's the thing, no bug ever does that. Apparently, in their little insect mind, they, they think, I know what I'm doing, man. I'm strong. I can handle this. I take care of my own life. No one tells me what to do. I am my own. Psst. They get zapped. And here's the thing. We are so the same. Listen, whenever we tolerate sin, whenever we persistently pursue it, we're no smarter than the bugs. And we forget that we are captives who have been set free. Here's my question for you this morning. What's your blue light? Everybody's got a blue light. Everyone's got one. What's your blue light? And, and, and don't just brush it off because, listen, it will grow. There'll be consequences to your soul and to the soul of those around you. So if God's pressing in on your heart, even this morning where you are right now, and he's pressing in to, to consecrate, to, to take back an area of your life that he owns, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's bitterness and unrepentance, maybe it's a sin that's drawn you in and it's owning you. Listen, today is the day you can be set free. Today's the day to, to walk in the grace that he has already bought you, redeemed you, set you free. That the Passover has happened and, and that, that, that we can, and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church, that we remember in those moments, we remember the death and the resurrection of Christ. Man, I can't wait to do this with you, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday for our prayer time online. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're going to remember. We're going to remember forward that freedom we have that, that one day will be fully realized in eternity. And that's our hope, that we've been set free by the Lamb, that we've been set fully free. That's the anchor of our souls, that, that I am no longer mine, but I've been bought with a price, that in life and death, I belong to the Lord. That's how we remember forward. Let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us 
Lord God, that you would, you would stir in our hearts to remind us where, where we forget that we're a consecrated people, that we belong to you, God, where, where we have areas in our lives where we have not fully given it over to you, surrendered to you, God, will you, by the power of your spirit, even now, God, you reveal that more to us, that we'd repent, that we'd confess, that we would, we would bring those things before you, lay them at the cross to, to receive, to experience the freedom that is ours. We thank you that your blood covers us. Thank you that you're faithful even when we're not. That when we wrestle with this, that you're there. Thank you that you've set us free, set us free to love and to serve, set us free to show hospitality, set us free to have compassion for those around us, set us free to live a new life. Father, I pray that as we, as we grow in understanding this, even over the next few weeks as we walk with, with in the book of Exodus to, to see that we're no longer slaves, that we've been set free, that now we are called your children, your sons, your daughters. God, help us get to that deeper place. It's in your beautiful name that I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.